Get Brooks. Hey, Brian, how are you? Good. How are you, Shannon? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for agreeing to kind of come on our, what we're calling our new podcast, because I'm, I'm sure, as you know, Mark and I had earlier in the year in 2020 started a podcast called Brooks, um, where we were going to kind of talk about, um, you know, being a married couple and working together and all of our travels and adventures and different things like that. And Obviously, the world that we're living in now, um, this is being recorded on April 13th, 2020, and with the virus and the pandemic and things that are going on, um, we had to dramatically shift, but we didn't want to kind of give up on the podcast, so we decided to take a whole new spin on it and kind of reach out to people that we are connected to in the community and talk about how it's affecting everybody and different ways to kind of, you know, cope better educate ourselves on what's going on in the marketplace. So I'm very grateful to have you on here with me to kind of talk about um, the lending side of things. So I'll introduce you, obviously, Brian Meredith with Envision Capital. He is a very dear friend of Mark and I's. Um, we adore him and his beautiful fiance, Gayleen. Um, and he's one of our trusted lenders. Um, and those of you who have done business with us and, and, and know a lot about the Brooks team, um, we, we let very few people into our inner circle because our clients are extremely important to us. And uh, Brian is definitely one of those people on the front lines and the inner circle with us. And we, we have great respect and trust for Brian. So um, I'm, I'm glad you're here today. So I'm glad I made it. I made it to the trusted circle. <laughs> Watch it. Out as fast as you were in. <laughs> That's right. Out. <laughs> um, okay. So Brian, really quick, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, a little bit about Envision Capital, things like that. Sure. So originally from the East Coast, um, sort of leads itself to be kind of what my sort of drive and my work ethic is in that sense. Um, I'm always kind of go, go, go. I am, I went to college here. So that's my affiliation and sort of my segue to being in Minnesota. Um, after college, went back to the East Coast and was working in pharma. And they just kind of hit the wall on it. And I was like, I got to find something different, needed better quality of life. So I was like, where am I going to go? Minnesota. Um, and somehow was able to convince my fiance to come with me. Um, and Bless her, because so that is not an easy transition. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, <laughs> She's a spicy, beautiful Latin woman living in Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Says exactly what she thinks, but, you know. <laughs> Hey, you can't falter for being honest. You know, she's definitely no. not Minnesota passive aggressive. And I think it's one of she the things I love most about her. So. <laughs> There's nothing passive about her. That's for sure. Um, so have been living here for about three and a half years now, again, and transition to the lending side in order to sort of make my way back as a new career. Um, but I am an economics major in school and uh, double majored in both uh, business administration, econ, and minored in accounting. So, um, yeah, kind of leads itself into being able to like kind of fit right in with kind of what this world is and, you know, sort of the passion as to what that is as well, being able to kind of leverage some of that stuff and that information and have it translate and be able to give that information to other people and really synthesize it and break it down so that way it's understandable, right? Yeah. Because I think that that's kind of a big deal. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I always say that every time I meet you for lunch or a business meeting, I leave so much smarter and I'm very appreciative of you and your knowledge. Um, to my clients that are watching or seeing the podcast, um, Brian is featured every month in our newsletter. Um, you do a really great job with that. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, you're very uh, knowledgeable, fact-based. Um, so that's, that's fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so we might as well just kind of jump right into what we're seeing right now. Um, I know you and I had kind of talked a little bit before we started recording the podcast about the Minnesota Association had released this morning on April 13th, the 2020 March housing report for the state of Minnesota, and it actually looked fantastic. Um, yeah, it looked you know, awesome. It, it was really great. Yeah. Uh, kind of the ray of hope that we needed, you know, it was saying new listings year over year from March of last year to this year, we're up 13%. Our days on market are down to 57 days, you know, closed transactions were up 12.3%. Um, but as we both know, and like you said, real estate is a cyclical business and it tends to ebb and flow. And we both know that everything we see comes in 90 day cycles. So I'm a little hesitant to jump with joy um, because I think that the next two months, you know, or April, May, and June will really kind of start to show what the pandemic has done to our local market. Because when I went back and looked, I saw that the week ending in March 28th, into the first part of April here, we were actually down 5.8% in listings. Um, I think it says uh, inventory is now down 7%. So I just kind of want to get your take and what your thoughts are on after seeing that report and kind of discussing it with me. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise that it was the numbers were up, right? Because we're really kind of pulling through from January, February. And what does that look like, right? So just as essentially what you were alluding to is that you know, we have a time lag as to how that stuff kind of filters through from an economic cycle, right? Uh oh. Okay, so we're back. We had a little bit of technical difficulties. <laughs> Welcome to the new normal, right? Uh, Brian, you know, flew to another location. <laughs> you look good, looking good at the office now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> So much for uh, social distancing at the office. Is your office busy? There's a couple people here, yeah. Yeah. We're yeah, essential. I mean, we're essential. Yeah, I was just going to say that being essential, we're, we're open. Our brokerages are um, open as well. Obviously, practice safe social distancing and bring your disinfectant wipes and everything will be fine. So, <laughs> all right, kind of getting back where we left off, we were just kind of finishing discussing uh, the 2020 Minnesota housing report that came out, talking about how things are kind of uh, cyclical and kind of what your thoughts are on, you know, we had kind of said that it might just be a little too early right now to predict how the pandemic has um, influenced the market. So right. kind of thoughts on that. Yeah, just that, you know, ultimately that pull through and those numbers will eventually kind of trickle in, I think. April, May, right? Um, but you know, it's like, okay, so we said 5% decline in, what'd you say, listings, right? Yeah, yep. So listings were down 5%, uh, new listings taken, Twin uh, right. City Metro, and then uh, inventory, overall inventory went down to 7% as well. Okay. So I mean, if you look at that in real numbers, though, what does that, you know, what does that equate to? 
you know, it's like 5% is, I mean, 5% is not a staggering number if you think about how many people got laid off within the context of the past, you know, three weeks, right? So if we're talking about, you know, unemployment levels over 10%, but, you know, all of those numbers are really only kind of throttled by five, I think when you kind of shuffle those numbers around and you kind of put them in contextual aspect, I think it's actually still pretty strong, right? I think people are probably still just waiting kind of to have the market be a little bit less uncertain and kind of what does that look like moving forward? Um, I think if it elongates, that will run into some serious issues. But I think that we've over, we've kind of come out the other side pretty quick as far as like the economic stuff, um, as far as what the government's done in general, just to kind of get us right side, like right-sided as far as being upside down, right? Yeah, I kind of, I totally agree with that. And, I, and how I've kind of looked at it and discussing with my clients, um, especially my listing clients, really right now, I feel like it's, it's more kind of like a, the winter months. You know, we're very seasonal here in Minnesota, obviously. Um, and just kind of the slowdown feels very similar to, you know, I always say Thanksgiving to New Year's. Mm-hmm. We definitely see a decline there as well. So it's almost like the market's responding in that same way. Um, we're just not seeing the tick up that we normally see this time of year um, with the spring market. You know, I, I always say that parade of homes, that is our true kickoff. That's how I feel. Um, that's how we've seen it in our business. And with that being canceled as well, um, definitely people are just kind of, they're still out there though. You know, we're still seeing showings. Last week alone, um, I think Jeff said that Angle and Volkers, we have like 65 licenses and there was like 283 showings. Our license, our advisors showed 283 properties last week. Like that's incredible. So there's definitely buyers out there. Um, You know, kind of let's, let's kind of dive into a little bit about um, the mortgages. Um, Obviously we've talked about this at length because we do have buyer clients right now together um, and how things are getting a little bit tighter and what people should expect as, as far as that goes. Sure. So first and foremost is that the sort of a lot of the sort of overlays of what they did just to kind of restrict some of the credit lines of what people can actually apply to and qualify for have been throttled a bit. So, um, you know, we're we're looking at FHA that's got to be under 50 percent now. So used to be able to go up to 55. They're even saying now that's on an exception. So you actually have to be at 45, less than 45 percent. Debt. Right, you're saying that's an income ratio, right. yeah. Yep. Um, jumbo lending has kind of gone out the window and is, you know, from just from a bank liquidity aspect, they're hold they're really withholding those funds. I mean, uh, Wells Fargo has been um, unless you have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in relationship assets with them, they're not going to do anything for you in the jumbo market, um, which is a huge deal because they have a ton of cash. Um, but it just kind of shows you where their thinking is as far as what they want to, where they want to be from a liquidity aspect. Um, so jumbo has been really hard. Anything that's kind of, um, like investment stuff has been really hard. Um, there's even been some, um, mortgage insurance companies that are saying that they're going to pull back on some of the investment aspect of being able to kind of say, instead of really getting there at 20%. And if you were trying to get to 15, which some pe- some lenders will allow you to do, um, that they're not even going to insure that anymore. So it just kind of shows you the scope is kind of reeling that stuff in and, you know, really making sure that 
A, you have a job and B, that you can afford it, right? And so part of the A, part of the A portion is that um, we, they do a verification of employment and then now they're making you get verification of employment again after you sign your note to show that you are still currently employed. So they're doing trailing docs on loan documents and they, if you're not, they'll essentially call the loan on it. So you could be in a really funky position as far as them calling the loan or putting you into forbearance that you're not necessarily trying to do um, if you don't. So just making sure that you kind of keep that employment through the first week of <laughs> when yeah. you actually close on a house. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about that too. Like, um, you, let's say you, you are, I'll use um, a specific example. So I have clients that are building. Um, I did not represent them on the build side. I'm representing them on their list side and both of them became laid off. Um, we did not put their house on the market as of right now. We are going to have to withhold. Um, unfortunately, the builder is saying their deposit is not refundable. They will not get that money back, which is very terrifying because if you've ever built new construction, it's typically anywhere from 20 to 30% down. Um, but regardless of that, what, what are you seeing? Are there ways for people in that scenario to either defer um, things out or how do you kind of recover from that? Like, you know, I... I kind of spoke to them briefly about where are we, where are we going to be? You know, they right. will get their jobs back eventually. Do you just try to defer it out longer or what kind of, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're furloughed, right, then you, there's a, there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Whereas if you're laid off, you're just like, that's it, right? You got to kind of go out and start the process again. Um, you know, lenders are allowing for forbearance, but forbearance has been, um, kind of wonky depending upon who the servicer is and um, essentially if you go into forbearance they're not it's not going to be a negative mark on your credit so they've already showed that you know they've put in the law saying that you can't actually have it be something that's negative against you because it's not something that you've necessarily done right um, somebody ate a bat you can't control that right and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So it's crazy. Not you're, it's not that you're overspending or just not making right. your payments or you can't control if somebody can. decides to be weird and needs eat a bat and then, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's like not your fault. <laughs> so, you no. know, it's like, it's there. So the forbearance aspect is actually kind of a pain um, because either they're going to do it in a six month or a 12 month run. And either they're going to do it where you have to do it as a balloon payment at the end of your forbearance period, which how are you going to do that? If you have right. I don't think a lot of people understand that if your mortgage payment is $2,000 a month and you go 90 days and then that 90 days is up, you, you owe that right then and there. Right. Like, so you're not, it's not like they're tacking out of the back of your loan or they're going to refinance you or things like right. that. You know, I, I saw a really great um, kind of, you know, meme popping around about it that was really good that showed, you know, like, okay, yeah, now we'll divide it up over the next 12 months. Well, even the next 12 months, though, if yeah. you think about kind of what that forbearance period looks like, that's still a lot of, that's still a lot of still payments, a lot of right? Money, you know, so it's dollars so and then they try to divide it up and um, then all of a sudden your payments go up by $500 a month. And that if you have, D, you know, that higher DTI ratio that we just talked about, that puts you above where you, you're comfortable anyways. So right. And it's I, kind I of counterintuitive, right? It's like, oh, yeah. I'll qualify you at X, but if you could afford a $500 more a month payment, then you probably would have reached for that extra, you know, the additional house. So like, it kind of puts people upside down on what's kind of going on. Um, they have started to kind of roll out some of this stuff where um, 
they're deferring it as a second as a second lien against the property. So essentially they're going to have it roll backwards and that eventually you're going to have to pay that off, but it'll be come at the pay, time of payoff. So if you ever like get to the end of your loan, essentially those payments are just deferred as the principal loan balance in the future. And so they're starting to roll out some of those programs just to kind of not make it be so punitive yeah. um, or not necessarily punitive, but like difficult to repay um, because obviously if you can't afford to pay back that 500 bucks or whatever it is additional per month, you know, then that's when you start talking about like foreclosure and stuff. Um, and that's actually what would really crush the market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be 2007, eight all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I do, I, I don't really like, even as I say that I don't really, you, you were kind of starting to see that fear and people kind of compare this to 2007, eight, and they're very different markets, right? They're, this isn't a housing crash for one. Um, it, we don't have the inventory that we had back then. Um, for a lot of people that don't know this about me, uh, I started my residential stint in real estate, if you will, because I came from the commercial side. I started November of 2007 <laughs> on the residential Great side. Great timing. Great timing. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I just quit my, you know, one side corporate job, joined uh, another and went into residential and the whole market. I mean, literally the bottom fell out. So, right. and I don't really feel like that's the same here. And I think everybody mm -hmm. is saying the same thing. You know, um, we, it, it's going to be more of this like V curve, right? And like, it, it should come back eventually. It just is all going to take yeah. some time. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of more of like how it, they're saying more of like a U. Um, I think some of that has to do with how long specifically we are out of, like the economy is basically on hold right? Um, and you're correct. It's not the same as 2007, 2008, just because those were bad assets that people were selling and inflating. Um, and that just really had no, they had no market value or relevance within the contextual aspect of the market itself. And when those went bad, they went bad completely because nobody, people were being dishonest and um, on all levels, you know, not just, you know, kind of at the mortgage level, but like way beyond that. Um, and the thing is, is that we would never have been able to even originate mortgages if people weren't willing to buy them on the secondary market, right? So if there was no appetite for that risk, those would have never been sold. The difference is, is that we have a pretty strong guidance from the, from the federal government that they're gonna continue to provide liquidity in the market and buy you know, mortgage-backed securities and do all the things because they realize that the fundamentals behind it is not necessarily upside down, that it's actually there. It's just a question of how do you get people to be able to work to repay the stuff, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, I've had a few conversations, um, and it's kind of worth talking about, with buyers that are like, well, we're just going to, that are still well-qualified. They're still able to buy. They're still able to go into the marketplace, but they're like, well, we're just going to wait because we think that we're going to get such a dramatic, like drastic discount um, when this thing kind of starts to pull ahead. And I just don't feel like that's the case. Um, this isn't, again, the housing market isn't crashing. Everything's just on hold. And right now, you know, it's, I actually have been seeing it drive the prices up because there are fewer buyers, the housing, there's fewer house, or there's still, excuse me, there's still the same amount of buyers. There's just not as much listing inventory. Therefore the, the, the demand changes significantly. So, you know, if, 
I just feel like that's not the best way to look at it right now. Um, if that's kind of what you're holding out for, you might, it might actually impact you far worse. Right. Um, if we do come out of this strong and which we hope to do, what's going to happen is we're just going to have a delayed in our market spring market. Right. So mm -hmm. it'll turn into late summer, fall, and everybody will kind of jump back in really quick and we'll end up in the same multiple offers and that lower bracket, things like that. So, right. I, you know, I just don't see it being like, all I don't sudden, either. I, I think, get, I think it would be a different discussion if we see this extend through May. Um, okay. I think that that'll be, I think we'll have a very different opinion as to what that might look like moving forward if it elongates itself. Right. Yeah. Um, just because the ability of individuals or businesses to come back after 90 days of not being able to have any revenue and what does that look like and being able to jumpstart those again, um, granted there are, you know, low, you know, interest rate, small business loans that are going out to people, but it's, you know, all of that liquidity takes a long time to kind of get into the market. Um, so I think that if we start to see this extend beyond kind of the May time horizon, we're going to start to run into some bigger issues, which is why everybody keeps targeting that May 1st kind of jump off for people to be able to start trickling back in and start, you know, actually having people back in the economy. Yeah. And I think it was, we were discussing that economists are kind of maybe predicting like a yo-yo. Yeah. So like more of like a W or like kind of like one of those kinds of things, because just from the from the coronavirus itself, they're saying that, okay, you know, we have this massive sell off and drop, you know, we get people back, you know, maybe we have a, you know, an expansion period and then, you know, coronavirus comes back and we got to start doing this thing all over again. And we'll probably see that up and down aspect until we kind of get to a place where we have a vaccine or we have the ability to be able to see people that have had the coronavirus and be able to, um, that have the antibodies to be able to kind of go out there and not worry about getting sick. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that that's a very mild symptoms and just weren't right. feeling it. And now they're able to, to enter back into the, the regular yeah. market. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, I, there's just so much unknown. Um, I, yeah. I still feel like, I mean, based on the 20, uh, March, 2020 numbers, again, it is still a little early, um, but we are seeing houses come off the market. I am, like I said, I'm still showing houses to a select few buyers that really need to move. I think that's more of a, um, you know, social respect on my part. Um, you know, if you don't, I kind of had, you know, um, well into the 10 plus buyers um, before this started and over half of them, they just, they don't need to buy right now. Um, and they kind of also want to pull back, but there are a few that, you know, they're, they're, they're either relocated and they're in temporary housing and that's about to go away. Um, their leases aren't being carried forward. Um, you know, there's different scenarios for everybody. Um, but I think just going out and seeing houses, um, you know, our listings are getting great, great showing traction and things like that. Yes, it's down, but we're still seeing under that 300,000 mark. It's pretty hot. Yeah. It's still really competitive, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's just different ways too. If, if you're, if you're nervous about selling and then not being able to buy, you know, I mean, we've talked about this, there's different ways to, to go about it. I mean, you can't door knock like you used to um, for your buyers, but there are a lot of expireds out there where agent to agent, we could communicate that, Hey, um, I know this market, this home is no longer in the market, but we got a buyer that wants to 
do transition to move up and you seem to check all your the boxes and now they're kind of ready to go can we get in and do a one-time showing and there's just a lot of different ways to kind of go about that mm-hmm. um you know, and I, and I think too, once the stay in place order is it loosens and things like that, the market will, we'll, we'll see more people back out and stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm getting bored. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> Both of us when, you know, your, your whole life is kind of centered around your career, if you will. And uh, yeah. <laughs> my husband and I do it together and now it's like, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're still here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's kind of just recap really quick. If someone it still is employed, still feels like they have lower DTI, I mean, it's still the market for them. They still can enter the market. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, There's, It's not like lending is completely shut off. That's not the case. They just expanded it so much that, you know, they realized that the economy was really good. And they realized that they needed to expand it, the lending requirements in order for people to help more people be able to get fit into these buckets to qualify. Um, And they started doing that because they wanted the loans, they wanted the risk. But, you know, interest rates and mortgages, it's all risk based stuff, right? And so all they're trying to do is limit the amount of risk that they have. And how does that, what does that translate to for individuals? And the thing is, is that as you're coming in, yes, you're correct that. you, you know, 5% down, 3% down, all that stuff's still good. You can do it. It just means that the, the qualifications might be a little bit different. And if you're on the, you know, if you're on the border, you know, or sort of on the cusp of whatever you could, you know, potentially being able to qualify, how do you kind of explore that? And part of that would be able to talk to me and, you know, other people like me in my industry that can, you know, sort of provide that guidance as to what you could do to kind of get yourself in a position for 30, 60, 90 days. Because I don't think that these credit overlays are going to go away quickly. I think that they're going to be, and once they do, you'll know that the economy is back. Mm -hmm. Um, But until that happens, you know, they're going to be there for a little while. But, you know, the thing is, is if you can link up with somebody that knows what they're doing and can kind of advise you as to how best to kind of structure your finances and kind of what you need to do, um, you can make that happen because there's, there's still a lot of options out there. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's such a good time too. Like this is the one time where the world is on pause. So what a great way to actually start to explore your options, you know, Mm -hmm. look at speaking with a lender, talking to a financial advisor, like, where do I sit? What do I qualify? If I want to move or was thinking about moving and and unfortunately this kind of came, came to right before you started doing that. Now you have time to get your docs in and talk through what your qualifications are. Are, um, and not scramble to do it because you found the perfect house and you need, we need it in 10 hours so you can make an offer. Um, mm. Really kind of knowing your options is really great. I, I really think this is a good time. You know, if you, if you haven't spoke to a real estate agent, start any interviewing them, you know, you're around, we're around. It's we're less impeded by our schedules. Like it's, it's just kind of, it's, it really is. If you think about it, a great time. I, this is no secret, but I, I bought a new car and it was the best car buying experience I've ever had. Yes. <laughs> like everything was communicated via text. You got to shop online. You know, um, I've been fortunate because I really don't feel like I've had like a gross car buying experience, but some people really do. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, this is a great time to take advantage of the market. Um, and why not do it from the real estate side? Uh, so I, I really right. think 
be a good time to kind of talk through your options and and you know just educate yourself there's a lot of different platforms um we're getting a lot of fake news um you know one of the things that we're trying to do is actually provide value and facts and we don't want to pretend like it's business as usual uh you know it's it's not that's not the truth um you know it's going to take some time to kind of see what's actually happening um but there are a lot of different resources that both you and i can provide for people to understand what is going on in the marketplace mm -hmm. so, yeah Definitely. i mean you know the thing is is that money got really expensive there because there was so much uncertainty but you know, we're really seeing a lot of uh, lenders be able to kind of get back to a place where they're offering very competitive rates for like kind of all time low kind of deals. Um, and it's, you know, the, the true cost of buying a house is not necessarily the fact that it would depreciate at some, you know, at some juncture for a short period of time, because we know that real estate has for, you know, obviously all markets bounce, but like that, you know, real estate always has, always had this upward trajectory right like yes we have dips we have these you know yep. sell-offs at some point but you know the true cost of actually buying a house is the money that you're paying in interest and if you can get that for cheaper then you're winning right so you actually have a little bit better of a you know your your risk tolerance should be more as far as what you think that your property could depreciate by in order for you to be okay because it just means that you're staying in the house for a little bit longer but if that the payment is affordable and the money is cheap who cares, right? Like you have a house, over, you have a roof over your head, you got it worked out. You know, it'd be a different story if you were thinking about, you know, this was happening and we were at like five or 6% interest rate, um, which is not unheard of back in the day, right? Prior to the whole, you know, collapse and all that kind of good stuff. Like, you know, you talk to your parents, you know, what they used to pay for an interest rate. 18% in the 80s, right. like that, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Correct. It's, a, it's amazing that anybody actually ever bought a house. It's like, <laughs> how would you ever do that? I'll put it on my credit card. Don't worry. <laughs> like what 17 18 percent is nuts so it's a you know it's about saying that you actually the opportunity cost of actually buying now whenever you can get something around three and a half sub four right that's a huge deal as far as what your purchasing power is in order for you to be okay and secure within the context of that house because you have the ability to have a price shock a little bit you can tolerate that more mm -hmm. um and so, yeah, that's just kind of my two cents as to what, why it's okay to buy now and what my experience would be as far as that goes. I would, you know, if you think that you're, how, like, you're going to be gainfully employed, obviously you're not going to be overextend yourself, right? Like you're not going to really kind of push the envelope, but you're going to really put yourself in a position that you feel okay. You know, whether it be just qualifying one spouse versus the other on, you know, the loan. But, um, you know, ultimately it's just about, you know, saying like, okay, I'm going to manage some of my risk, but, you know, ultimately the true cost of this house is actually pretty cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when we're, we're comparing to rental rates. I mean, yeah. they're, it's very expensive to rent right now. Um, yeah. I mean, high. you look at two bedroom houses and you're talking, I mean, two bedroom apartments and it's like, oh yeah, you're paying somewhere around two grand. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's like, could you buy a house for $300,000? Yes, absolutely. For somewhere around two grand. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, great house. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm glad we got a chance to kind of chat a little bit. I, I hope um, I hope to have you come back on when, you know. Yeah, this was super fun. Up. It is super fun. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to see your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on, Brian. Like I said. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate you're, it. You're a, a very trusted lender and we're, we're really great to have. It's nice to have you in our circle. So I appreciate you and uh, we'll definitely connect again soon.
Yes, for sure. Okay, Have a good, good day. Thank you.